I want to begin by saying thank you to several people for inviting me to this pulpit. Um, first of all would be to Loa Amai, I believe I'm saying that correctly, and Doug Baker for my meeting both of them at the ASI um, last year. Also, I want to mention to say thank you to um, my cousin, Ashley Christian. Uh, I got a call from Loami, and he was saying that he and the class were studying a chart that this is drawn from and saying your cousin has mentioned that, that uh, you are the one that actually produced this, this uh, material. Also, I want to tell, uh, say thank you to Leland Crum and all his active staff in helping make this a technolo- technological uh, reli- uh, feasibility. I want to thank my sweet wife also because she has heard this for at least, what would you say, about 50 times practicing. This is the 11th time I've actually given this presentation. But the one I want to say thank you most to is our Heavenly Father. Because being 45, I can look back to when I was baptized at age 12 or 13, and if I would, un- would have understood then what I now know from his helping me the last three years about his plan of redemption and assurance of salvation, my walk with him would have been exponentially more than it has been the last 45 years. So hopefully, having said that, you a little bit more than 12 years, 13 years of age, will grasp the beauty of his plan of redemption in a way that you don't have to wait until you're 45 years old and say, I have an assurance of my salvation in the context of the plan of redemption in the pre-advent judgment. So as you see on your screen, this is actually part, this is the second of two parts, a broader seminar. A few years ago, I was asking God to help me understand Daniel chapter 2 in a simpler way, and he gave me that, which is this first part, and an additional two other things, the plan of redemption and simplicity that I hadn't seen before, and assurance of my salvation. And so this evening, we're going to go over the actual second part of that presentation. What we'll notice this evening is the, plan, the assurance of salvation is actually very simple. It's very biblical, meaning it's not hype. It also is intertwined more intimately than perhaps we may have thought with all of the, the, uh, the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Also, it's a precious gift that each one of us can have every day and that we can share with, with others. In fact, what I have found is that we as Seventh-day Adventists, and we'll come to a slide here in this presentation, that we as Seventh-day Adventists should be the foremost denomination to understand the gospel in its simplicity, in the context of the pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment, with full assurance of our salvation. And so the, the presentations this evening and over the next three tomorrow are structured in that way. And so having um, that in mind, I would like us to think of four specific questions. Number one, and I'm not asking for any raised hands, you may if you wish, but number one, 
Do you understand God's simple plan of salvation? Secondly, with your current understanding of God's plan of redemption, do you have assurance of your salvation? Thirdly, with your current understanding of the plan of redemption, do you have assurance of your salvation in the context of the pre-adamant judgment? Many times it's easy to think, hmm, I don't know, but we don't need to actually wonder. But fourthly, what I'd like us to consider is, do we have the ability to share that simple plan of redemption in the context of the three angels' messages which unite both the, the plan of redemption and the pre-advent judgment. And we will come to that in a, in a slide. Um, but what I want us to do now is actually take a look at two verses that actually tell us as clearly as Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 that this, the assurance of salvation is biblical just like Exodus 20 says clearly the seventh day is the Sabbath. This very first verse is found in Isaiah, Isaiah 32, 17. And it's interesting to notice that the idea of assurance is not a New Testament novelty. This is actually part of the everlasting gospel, therefore the assurance should be in the Old Testament and in the New. And in this verse you have on your screen, Isaiah 32, 17, we find that. And we see here, it says, the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance, how long? Till your next failure? No, forever. Okay, now let's take a look at the New Testament. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may what? That you may guess, that you may hope, that you may know. So this is the beloved Apostle John saying the same words as the gospel writer in the Old Testament. In other words, assurance of salvation is part of the everlasting gospel, thus it's biblical, and it's not hype. Now, I was saying that this is the 11th time I've given this presentation, and at the end of the fourth presentation, this illustration that you're seeing on your screen actually came to my mind. It makes it easier to understand this plan of redemption and assurance of salvation. What you should see here is an employer and an employee. Pink is frustration, green is confidence. There are three ways that this, this um, employee, and project yourself a few years into the future, you're an employee. There are three ways that this employer can frustrate the employee. Number one, that the employee doesn't know what the employer expects. Secondly, whatever she thinks the expectation is, she doesn't think it's simple, reasonable, and doable, therefore she's not doing it. So what do you think will happen when the employer walks through the door? Panic. But turn that around. It's just as true on the positive. What happens if the employer, employee knows what the employer expects? Say, sweep the floor. And she thinks, you know what? That's simple, sweeping the floor. It's reasonable, it's doable, and she's doing it. She's sweeping the floor. Now what's the response? No panic. Hi, boss. Do you realize that that's the same thing in this next illustration? The repentant sinner and the Savior. Here again we have pink, no assurance, green assurance. The same is true. If 
the repentant sinner does not know what his Savior expects, doesn't believe it's reasonable, whatever he thinks that, that his Savior expects, and doesn't do it, what's the result? Panic. Anytime there is a last day event scenario, a se seminar, anytime there is a crisis coming soon seminar, there's panic registering in the person's heart. But what happens if the reverse is true? What happens if that repentant sinner, you, myself, know what God expects, believes it's doable through Christ, and is doing it? What's the language of our heart? No panic. It's as simple as that. So what's the difference? He has gone, we have gone from not knowing to knowing God's expectations. We have gone from thinking those things are impossible to they are possible to not doing them to doing them. And we're eager to say, lo, this is our God. But I want us to take a look at something here I call the uh, recipe for disaster. I think this is something that we need to, to consider, especially you as teenagers, because both Prince Charming, Jesus Christ, and Prince of Darkness, the devil, is going to be appealing to your hearts. Both want your talents, both want your intellect, both want your everything. So let's take a look at this recipe for disaster. Who is this dish made for? The dish is the sinner leaving the Savior. And potentially it is for any follower of Christ. It doesn't matter what the denomination, it doesn't matter what your title, you could be a student, you could be a faculty, you could be the, the uh, president of a corporation. If you are following Christ but you don't know what God expects, then that is going to cause a potential leaving of the Savior. So the ingredient is simply that the repentant sinner doesn't believe in his heart that I can ever please my Heavenly Father. And let's pause here for a moment and think of this not in religious terms, but in family terms. What happens if a child does not believe that he can ever please his parent? He's waiting to leave. And the same thing is true here. So what is this repentant sinner going to do? He's going to do one of two things. He's going to leave either emotionally, but still stay in the pew, or he will leave physically, out the closest door, side, back, front, doesn't matter. Just Let's just go. And this is the part that people need to realize. Where is he going to go? He's going to go to the world whom he mistakenly thinks does not make such unreasonable expectations of him. That's a danger, people. Don't go there. Don't go there. So, my question then is, do you understand in the understanding that you have of the plan of redemption, do you understand what your Savior expects? Or do you think, um, I'm just shooting at an unknown target? Let's take a look at that idea for a moment. Do you feel like you're just shooting a lot of arrows? Hopefully to hit something. Hopefully what God expects. But is this what you feel like right here? No matter what seminar you go to, you're always hitting, 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 but never feeling you are hitting the target. You're shooting a lot of arrows, taking a lot of time, taking a lot of effort, hitting the unknown. And this is the ironic thing. Let's say that you hit the bullseye, whatever God expects. But the fact that it is unknown, you'd have no clue that you hit it. And you're still, day by day, class after class, church after church, frustrated. So why don't we take a look at going from the unknown to the specific. Here is your target right there. 
Let's say that you are Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a new Seventh-day Adventist the last six months. And I tell you, I really appreciate the way you have led me to understand the beauty of the rest that I can find in the Sabbath. I'm grateful to find the, um, the, the tithing, etc. But there's one thing that I have noticed as a new Seventh-day Adventist in this illustration. It seems like the last six months it, that the most sacred thing a Seventh-day Adventist can become involved in is archery practice. I think, okay, Seventh-day Sabbath was new, other things are new, maybe archery practice will grow on me as well. But I have a question for you. What's the target? I mean, we should be able to give an answer for that. Do you realize that we as Seventh-day Adventists should be able to give the most immediate, simplest, and biblical answer to that valid question? So now we're thinking, okay, um, just be good. All right, it's getting a little more specific, but it's still a little fuzzy because do you realize that every ism out there will define that term differently? So good, all right, but can we be more specific? Okay, we're Christians, so we think, okay, we're squirming up, be Christ-like. Okay, that's better, but is the Bible any more specific? Yes, it is. Take a look at this. Live for others. Submit to God. Now, this is in precise, sharp, biblical simplicity. Think of this. What do you see here? In the great controversy, would you see the devil stooping to serve Peter? No. His character is, Peter, you get down there. I will sit here. You serve me. But what is the king of the universe character like? He said it himself, if you are the chiefest, you will serve. He lives for others and submits to God. Now do you, can you see a specific known target? How many people can choose to now just not be good, not just be Christ-like, but can specifically choose with God's help to live for others and submit to God? Now you have a razor-sharp understanding of what God expects. Now, let's take a look at how we as Seventh-day Adventists know that all three items, assurance of salvation, the plan of redemption, and the, uh, pre the, the gospel all go together. All, this is handy as well because we actually see these three verses all from the same writer. I mean, it would be just as true if there were three different writers, but this is handy. This is the same writer, the beloved John, saying all three. So watch this. Number one, everlasting gospel. Revelation 14.6 says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having what? The everlasting gospel. So do you realize the very first item in the three angels' message is not the beast. It's not being warned to flee the wrath to come. It's not even the investigative judgment. What's the very first thing on the docket? It's everlasting gospel. We as Seventh-day Adventists need to understand simply how to, I mean, the, the plan of redemption. But notice the next part. The next verse says, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to Him for what? The hour of His judgment has come. So here we see Two items, two truths, two biblical truths, not at odds. They are in the same first angel's message. Gospel first, followed in context with a pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment, also known 
as the great day of atonement. So the same Bible writer is saying both, therefore the two are in complete harmony. Now notice the next one. John, 1 John 5, 13. You may what? Guess? You may know. So notice, who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. Who wrote the book of 1 John? John. So all three are written by the same author, inspired by the same author, gospel, judgment, and assurance, all tied together. We as Seventh-day Adventists should be the foremost in explaining this. All right, the next, one of the next items that we have is a criticism against Seventh-day Adventists inside and outside the Seventh-day Adventist church. This next slide could actually take an entire sermon, which we are not going to take for um, time uh, restraints. But the point that many people will give to Seventh-day Adventists on this idea of assurance and the pre-Advent judgment is this. How can you have assurance of salvation if you're going to be inspected? I don't know if you've ever taken a logic course, but that's called a logical, that's, that's a fallacy of bifurcation. In other words, it's either or. Have you stopped beating your wife? In other words, it's either one or the other. Why can't it be both? The Bible mentions both. So what we're seeing is that we have the ability inside the plan of redemption that we're going to briefly mention at the end and expand more tomorrow, that we will have assurance inside of the pre-advent judgment. The part that I find fascinating is that if you look at Revelation 15, 8, this is in the context of the, the seven last plagues. The close of probation has just occurred, seven last plagues occur, second coming occurs. In that context, you will notice that Revelation 15, 8 mentions that the temple in heaven is filled with smoke. That's point number nine. And we're just going to go down through here, but I'm only going to look at one specific part here. And that is this. This is nine of ten points. When that phrase is mentioned, it's mentioned in context to Moses' sanctuary, Solomon's sanctuary, and the heavenly sanctuary. And we'll see that inspection and assurance are mutual friends. So number one, what we find is that when this sanctuary of Moses was uh, set up, it was called, it was, there was a commission. Let them make me a sanctuary. The purpose to dwell with pattern heavenly sanctuary. In other words, these three points are implied when that phrase, filled the temple, is used. I really like this one right here. It is built individually according to the pattern, took time, it's a cooperative project, and it's unique place and contribution. In other words, let's just take this candlestick, for example. Did God have a specific place that He assigned to the, the candlestick and only to the candlestick? Yes. And did He also have assigned a certain part of His own character assigned to that? Yes. And we'll see that in the next column when we come, but I'll, I just wanted to plant that thought in your mind. Then, these pieces of furniture are completed, and Mrs. White says that it took about six months for this sanctuary to be completed. Then guess what? There was an inspection. If you will actually look at Exodus 39, 42, and 43, you'll actually see that verse 42 says, they, the Israelites, 
completed the work, completed the temple, completed the furniture, everything that they were commissioned to do is completed. Then after it was completed, they brought it to Moses. And in verse 43 of Exodus chapter 39, Moses inspected the completed work according to the pattern, and it passed. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Then it was set up, that's Daniel 2, that's, that's in the first section of the seminar. Then it was accepted, then it was filled, then the purpose was realized. So then if we look over here at the redeemed, we notice the same thing. Let us make man in our image. Purpose to dwell with. Who's the pattern? Christ. Now watch as this begins to flow all the way down here, matching this item over here. You and I are built individually. You can't be built if you're a roommate for your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle. It's individual building. Built according to Christ, specifically live for others, submitting to, his, um, submitting to God. It takes time. I'm 45 and I'm still learning each day to live for others, die to self, and say yes to God. It takes time. It's a cooperative project between my Savior and myself. A unique place. And this is the part that I really find interesting. And that is this. Just as these pieces of furniture here had their unique place and their contribution, God has a unique place for you in His kingdom. And He has a unique contribution for you to make for all eternity that no one else can make. Just like this piece of furniture had something that the table of showbread could not. Don't let yourself be robbed of being that unique person in the kingdom of God, in heaven, and then on the new earth that only you can fill. Then you're complete. Then you're inspected, set up, accepted, filled, and then dwell with, Revelation 21 and 22. But the part I want to make is this right here. It took a little while to build to this, but this is the point. Critics will say, you Seventh-day Adventists cannot have both ways. You can't have assurance of salvation inside of the inspection, according to what standard. Because my Bible says that since, not if, each one of these pieces of furniture, holy yet inanimate, past the inspection of Moses, you and I in the books of heaven being read now can pass the inspection, an even greater inspection of one greater than Moses, Jesus Christ. It's not an either or scenario. You can be fully assured of your salvation inside of the context of inspection. So let's take a look at the place we should actually start. Here we see Adam and Eve, which Hollywood would just drool over if they could see our first parents. I mean, he's Mr. Stud, she's Miss Beautiful. I mean, I've never seen a woman or a man this handsome, this beautiful. But what made them awesome is God made them in his image for face-to-face -face communion. However, when we sinned, we became like Nebuchadnezzar's gold image. I'll do it my way, and I'll, everybody will live to, 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 to serve me, and we thus broke our communion with God. God has a plan of redemption in which He restores us back to living for others, submitted to God, face-to-face -face communion. This is what the plan of redemption is built on. This is what Daniel and Revelation is built on, rightly understood. So I want to show you two other slides before we actually 
Uh, we have one, two, three, about five more slides, six more slides. But I, these, these two right here, I really had fun putting together, and I hope that you draw as much encouragement out of these as I did, and also enjoying making them. That is this. Since God can give virgin birth to Mary and a baby to Zachariah and Elizabeth, can't he also recreate Christ's character of selflessness and submission to his will in you and me? Isn't that incredible? She asked the question, how can this be? With God, all things are possible. He asked, how can this be? With God, all things are possible. We can say the same thing. You don't know my inherited and cultivated tendencies to sin. Well, she had difficulty. She didn't know a man. He was too old. So why is it any difficulty for God who gave her virgin birth and grandma and grandpa, Zachariah and Elizabeth, not a grandchild, a son? Why can't he give you and me his likeness? That's awesome. I want to back that up with this next slide. This one is equally enjoyable for me to actually present to you, especially if you grasp this as a teenager. This will go a long way toward helping you in your walk and choosing Prince Charming, Christ, not the devil, because they're going to both be competing for your heart's affections. Since God can make Mr. Universe, Adam, from this stuff called dust, and since he can make Miss Universe from a rib, this gets me choked up, what can he make from us with our, the elements he finds in the soul of our hearts? Anger to proper anger. And notice I did not say no anger. Impatience to patience. Foul language to uh, cl clean language. Dear friends, do you understand that no matter what your background is, it is totally possible for our Heavenly Father to forgive you from everything and to take of you and make you like Himself. It is totally possible. So I want, to, I want us to read the quotation here. We have four more slides here. Here's this first quotation. This is from volume 6 of the Bible Commentary. 1053, and it's easier for me just to look at the two columns, column one, the first paragraph, and column one. Notice what it says. The plan of redemption is comprehensive, but its parts are few. Each part depends on the others, while all work together with the utmost simplicity and entire harmony. I like this other one. She's talking here specifically about the tithing system, but the principle still holds, and that is this. Everything bearing the divine stamp unites what? Simplicity and utility. That means that our understanding of the gospel with assurance of salvation in the pre-advent judgment should be simple and useful. We should be able to explain it to other people simply and usefully. And now I can do this for the last three years. I can do this. And the last three slides are right here. Remember the, re the way that that employee went from panic to not panic. The person started with the expectations, knowing they're doable, and did them. That's what we're going to do in the next 
three presentations tomorrow. This slide right here we're going to look at tomorrow at Sabbath School. We're starting with the expectation. We're going to go to the process and the promises. And all I'm doing here is simply summarizing for you the simple, uh, simple plan of redemption. Three, three slides here. We'll look at the detail tomorrow. So the, the expectation is to be holy, which simply means to be in constant agreement with God. So how do we go there? How do we arrive at that? Number one, we behold Christ and see that this is what we look like. I could stand up here with PhDs as long as my arm, but if I cannot treat my wife and my, our little daughter with Christ-like others-centeredness and submission to God, then my PhDs mean nothing. So it's interesting to notice that all three of these that we're going to go over tomorrow actually begin with beholding Christ. It's Christ-centered, the gospel. It's simple, it's useful, it's Christ-centered. So the next step is to actually confess the sin that I am guilty of. Then thirdly, to accept Christ, His life in place of my life, His death in place of my death, and then commit to obeying Him. And then what's the promise? I'm complete in Christ. Do you see it? Expectation, process, promise. I go from being panic-filled, from looking very remorsefully at that law to down here, smiling at the law that used to condemn me. Again, expectation, process, promise. Let's go to the next size, uh, to the next slide. This one is the second expectation, and God basically has three. And this is the part that I find rather fascinating myself. As a parent, it's making more sense. And that is, we are counseled in the spirit of prophecy that we should have few rules consistently applied. Why would our Heavenly Father say, okay, Jimmy, Monica, have few rules with Melanie, be consistent, but I can have as many rules as I want? No, it seems like, given that quotation, everything that God has is simple in quantity and quality, and is useful. And so we're looking at three basic um, expectations that God has. So again, we have the expectation number two is to obey Christ. And this one I'm looking forward very much to actually taking, walking you through because this, this process is rather new to me. It may be new to you, and I'm looking forward to sharing that more specifically with you tomorrow. This will be at the church service. So the expectation is to obey Christ, but there are two components there. Number one, I must know what he expects. If I don't know that he expects me to go to church on the seventh-day Sabbath, then how can I do the expectation? But that's the first component. Now that I know what he wants, now the second component is where's the power to do it? I don't know if you, what your experience has been in your Christian walk, but when every time I try to do what God asks in Jimmy's strength, it doesn't work. So there has to be more than just knowing what he expects. I need to know him experientially. An example is David. Why was it that David was down there on the field of battle with Goliath and Saul, his taller king, was not? Right here, if you will look at this verse here, and we'll unpack this more specifically tomorrow. I'm just wanting to give you an overview. Look at what Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says. Those who do what? Who know their God shall be strong. The reverse is just as true. Those who don't know their God in character 
will not be strong. He knew that the God who doesn't change yesterday, today, forever had helped him what? With the lion and the bear yesterday, so he will help me with Goliath today. Only those persons who know their God in character will be able to do what God asks. What's the promise? We can do all things through Christ. Simple, expectation, process, promise. Let's go to the final slide, and this is one that I believe that will give many, many people a lot of encouragement. It did me when I actually put these together. And what I found is it's interesting when I look back on my own, my own walk with God to this point is that all these things that you're seeing that I'm sharing with you, I had heard this from this Bible professor, this from this faculty member, whatever, it's all congealed for me. So hopefully you don't have to wait till 45 to piece all this together. Here's the expectation, conform entirely to God's will, and the picture says it all. Eve is looking at this forbidden fruit, and her eye is asking, shall I obey God? What's the expectation? It's to conform entirely to God's will. So here is our model. Goal, yes, and all things, for I love and trust Him so. So where does it begin? Where does the process go from here to here? Again, behold Christ. When I behold Christ, many thoughts go through my mind. One of them particularly is this, that God actually is not the tyrant, that the prince of darkness, the devil, keeps lying to me through media, through whatever avenue. God, the Son, is awesome. And so what happens? I think, God, I love you. Help me to be like you. And what happens? Our actions will follow our thought life from what we behold. Now watch this. There's a builder here, right here. By taking steps one through three here, we're laying the step four. When the devil comes knocking saying, covet, cheat, commit adultery, do whatever it is that God says not to do, we have in these first three steps provide, uh, laid the foundation like Joseph to say when Potiphar's wife comes to us tempting us, we will say, no, I am learning to love God and therefore learning to say no to you. Now, as these four steps are repeated, they become our habit, our character, and ultimately our destiny. To go to a heaven in which everyone beholds, loves, and obeys Christ and therefore resist evil and we will feel right at home. What's the promise? that those, those um, tests that he gives us are passable. I mean, think about this. Eve is here, but think of Adam when he was tempted when Eve brought the fruit. God didn't ask him to bench press Mount Everest. He simply said, don't eat. It's very doable. Next, he gave a passable test. He gives every one of us time to pass those tests. Some of us are quicker at piano, music, math, whatever. But here's the best, best of it all right there that He wants to invite you and me to sit on His throne. I mean, can we really grasp this, this side? It's hard to grasp this. He's inviting previous rebels to sit on His throne. I mean, that's incredible. We're not just going to be the CEO, the president of Microsoft or Apple. We are going to sit with Christ and rule the entire universe. When, by God's grace, we have learned to go from here to hear, and it's very doable. So hopefully this evening you have grasped a little bit more of the doability of what God expects.
because it's so actually doable. Uh, tomorrow we're going to look at the first one about being pardoned, the Sabbath school. The church service, we're going to look more specifically at how we can obey God. And then tomorrow at Vespers, we're going to actually dive a little bit more deeply into this part right here. So again, this evening I hope that above everything else, that Prince Charming has wooed you just a little bit more closely to himself by not a fear of ultimate destruction, but spending all eternity with the one who loves you beyond your wildest imaginations. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.